Good morning, everyone. It's good to hear the chatter, it really is. Mark your calendars for Sunday, June the 6th, as we will begin our regular Bible classes morning, 9.30 a.m. Graduation party, Carl and Susie Bowen will be celebrating Emily's graduation this afternoon from 2 to 4. Mike and Kelly will be celebrating Mally's outdoor graduation party Saturday, May the 29th from 4 to 7. Chad and Jennifer will be celebrating Libby's Saturday, May the 29th, also 6 to 9. Prayer list update. Charlie Bozo has been scheduled for surgery on June the 15th. Wayne Stevens, my little brother, that's bigger than me. But anyway, he had surgery last week. That's Hilda's baby, if you all didn't know that. He uh, should has it get the catheter out tomorrow, and hopefully everything works like it's supposed to. He's had some tough 10 or 12 days. Dottie Hager recovering from knee replacement at home. Starts her rehab this week. Mildred Jones is at home. Continue to keep her in your prayers and her family. Prayers are needed for Barrett Knifer and his family. This little boy is undergoing several tests and muscular dystrophy is suspected. So keep his family. These are good friends of Chris and Kelly's. Continue your prayers for Kristen and Rusty, Carol Galloway, Donna Henning, Trey Davis. Keep Trey in your prayers. Eugene Stover and many others that are mentioned in today's bulletin. Also take a moment this week to check on the shut-ins and others we have not seen for a while. <clears throat> yes. Yvonne Cornell surgery Friday. This coming Friday. Yvonne Cornell's having surgery this coming Friday. The next three messages are about what we've had to do for the last 13, 14 months. Mask. Some people like to wear them. Some people don't want to wear them. If you've had your shots, we're going to follow the CDC. If you've had your shots, they say you can take them off, so you can take them off. Third Sunday, we'll have uh, our regular sing. We're going back to that. So the third Sunday will be June the 20th. And the fellowship dinner is being considered for the fourth Sunday, so... If you're comfortable with that, let us know, and we can proceed to being normal. Right, Connie? That's right. Any other announcements? I'd like to read Romans 12, 1 and 2, if you'd like to follow along. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us for your son who came and died for us. We're thankful for the many blessings that we have, the land in which we live, the community, and that we have this opportunity to worship with you with like-minded Christians and people. Bless us this day, Father, as we go through this worship service. We pray that the things we do are in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. We ask your blessings on each one that was mentioned this morning that's sick and recovering. Be with them. Watch over them. Give them strength. We ask your blessings on the Higgins family that lost a loved one and and buried him yesterday. Bless them. We ask, Father, that uh, we're thankful for the medicines that have helped each and every one here, and especially for the past year plus that, that, that's helped reduce this pandemic. We pray that it continues to control it and we won't have to worry about it. Bless us, Father, as we go forward this year and throughout our lives as, that, that we can have these blessings. We're thankful for everything you've given us. Bless us. Forgive us, in thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 598, Standing on the Promises. Sing the first three verses. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, truly through the angels let his praises ring. Glory in the highest Bible shall and sing, standing on the promises of Wait a minute. 
seated. <clears throat> Next hymn this morning, number 434. 434, More Holiness Give Me. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Chad Ward will have our scripture reading and prayer. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you this morning, Father, so thankful for all that we have been blessed with, Father, for this beautiful day, for this Lord's Day that, that we come to, to honor you, Father, and, and to remember you and for all that you mean to us. Father, we praise you for, for who you are and, and, and what you do. And Father, we ask your blessing upon us as Christians that we can each day grow closer to you and, and be an example to others around us. Father, bless Chris this morning. Watch over him, and we're thankful for his time and preparation, Father, we ask your blessing upon he and his family and be with Dave and Mandy and their family. Father, we ask your blessing upon those who have been mentioned this morning, with Mildred and Yvonne and Charlie, Father, and Wayne and little Barrett. Father, we ask your blessing upon him and that you'll watch over the doctors that are, that are, that are attending to him. 
Father, we pray that you would be with Trey, continue to bless him and, and grant him strength and encouragement, Father. Father, watch out for us, watch over us, Father, throughout the rest of our day and our week and be with us as we leave this place and, and forgive us when we sin. And most of all, Father, we're thankful for the gift of your son. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. I'll be reading this morning from Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7. Galatians 6 and verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. We'll sing hymn number 452, 452, Night with Eben Pinion. <clears throat> As we surround the Lord's table this morning, I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians. And everybody knows this passage. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, 
This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we're commanded to partake of the Lord's Supper every first day of each week, he gave us emblems so we could focus our minds on the cross, his willingness, his sacrifice to, for our sins. He gave us the bread that represents his body and the fruit of the vine that reminds us of his shed blood. So as we put our thoughts and our heart towards the cross, let's give thanks for the bread. Father in heaven, we come to you now thanking you for Jesus. We thank you for his willingness to, to go to the cross for our sins, that he, he suffered physically and emotionally, that he, would, he did it all out of love for us. Father, we pray that we take this, this bread, that we take it to heart, and that, we love, that he loves us, and that we'll do it in a well-pleasing manner unto you. We thank you for Jesus and all he does for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give thanks for the fruit of the vine. Father, we come to you once again, thanking you for Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, that we will have forgiveness of our sins and that we can have a hope of heaven with you, that we take this in mind in memory of him and that we'll always look towards him for, for strength. And we thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. We have an opportunity now to give back to the Lord at what he has prospered us. There are containers in the back that you could drop off your offering. But I'd like to go to God in prayer now to give him thanks. Let's, let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you once again. Thank you for all the many blessings that you have given us as a church congregation and also as individuals that you have truly blessed us in so many ways. We, we pray that we will give you offerings, that it will be well-pleasing to you, that you will continue to look over the elders and, and bless them and that they will do uh, what's right with the financials, that they will always give you credit and it will be a shining light in this community and around the world. But we do thank you for all that you do for us and what you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 200. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. Number 200. 
It's at this time the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. The invitation to him this morning, 356, 356, Jesus is tenderly calling. It's time for the Christ. Well, good morning. 
It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. I uh, I don't think the echo had dropped out of uh, Jerry's announcement about the masks before mine was on the floor. I'm <laughs> so, so thankful that uh, we are at a part point with this uh, pandemic that we can start releasing some of these restrictions we've made, and I know you are too. We turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. You'll remember over the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been in Mark chapter 11, where Jesus meets with uh, some of the Jewish leadership there in Jerusalem. Uh, He has cleansed the temple. He has indicted uh, the Jewish leadership, and uh, they are not happy with him right now. They're, in fact, looking for a way to ruin him in the eyes of the people, just like he's ruined them in the eyes of the people. He has taken away a great much of their following, and they are not pleased Uh, with Jesus right now, especially since last week uh, he told that parable about the vineyard owner uh, who has uh, leased out his vineyard to tenants, and the tenants did not do what he would have them to do with it. In fact, they refused to give him his due. Uh, They didn't pay their, uh, their, their, their rent to the vineyard owner. And so when he sent in servants, they beat some, they killed others, obviously in allusion to the prophets. They understood that this uh, parable was against them and they were incensed. So Jesus has condemned the Jewish leadership and now they're going to try to get back at him. You're familiar with these passages, I'm sure. uh, The other synoptic writers, Matthew and Luke, talk about these, uh, some of these uh, tests, these traps that the Jewish leadership will try to uh, trap Jesus with today. Uh, but maybe you've never looked at them as one whole. This, this all happened at one time, and it was the Jewish leadership's attempt to get back at Jesus uh, for the, his condemnation of them, but also him making them look uh, as ridiculous as, as he made them look, just by showing them You're not actually producing fruit. You say you're righteous, but you're not actually doing anything. Um, And and on its face, obviously, that's um, ridiculous. So Mark chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 13. The the Pharisees come with the Herodians to Jesus. Now, this is a very interesting pairing, just the Pharisees and the Herodians, because these two groups do not like each other. In fact, on any given day, these two groups would have happily killed each other. They don't like each other. The Herodians are what the Pharisees would call sellouts. Um, They are some Jews, but some half-breed Jews that uh, serve the Herods. You remember Herod the Great, the one that tried to kill Jesus uh, when he was two years old? He killed all the the two-year-olds and down. Uh, that is the patriarch of this family. He has died by this point, but his son Herod Antipas is now king over this area that Jesus is in, in Judea. And he has attracted this following. These are uh, political guys. They're smart, they're savvy. These are political guys. The Pharisees obviously are a religious cult. They are um, devout. They are um, strict in their adherence to the Torah. They want to follow the rules. Now, they made the rules, <laughs> some of them, and so they want you to follow their rules as well as um, the Mosaical Law, and they, they're okay if you don't follow the Mosaical Law as long as you follow their rules. And so these two groups come to Jesus with a question. 
just the fact that they're, they're together should tip us off that this is not um, in earnest. <laughs> they're, 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 this is a trap. They're trying to get them. So they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Now, they're buttering him up, aren't they? Because they don't believe any of those things. They don't think that he is true. They don't, they don't think that he teaches the word of God. Uh, they're not believing any of those things about Jesus. This is just smoke. They're, 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 they're trying to uh, make themselves look good, I guess. But they've got a question for them, and they think it's a legitimate trap. They don't think there's any way Jesus can get out of this trap. So they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Now, the Herodians are here because they're tattletales. Basically, they're going to be the ones that go back to the Roman leadership in Jerusalem, maybe to Pilate, and they're going to say, listen, there's an insurrectionist in your midst. This Jesus, the Nazarene, he is saying to people, don't pay your taxes. Now, these taxes were offensive to the Jews. Uh, this is a picture of, of most likely the coin uh, that Jesus would have said to bring to him. Just a little bit. He's going to call out the crowd and they're going to bring him. I think this coin, it was one very much like this if it wasn't this exact coin. But this is uh, Tiberius Caesar. He is, you remember Julius Caesar? He has an adoptive son, right? Augustus. Augustus eventually dies and he, his uh, stepson takes the throne because it was basically the last guy that uh, Augustus could have passed the throne to. <laughs> uh, everyone else had already died. And so this guy, his stepson, takes over the throne, and he rules for a great many years. His name's Tiberius. He doesn't take on a lot of titles like uh, the next several Caesars will, even like uh, Augustus did himself, but he does take these two. Uh, this son of the divine Augustus. He claims that his dad, Augustus, was God. Now, does that ring any bells for us? Of course, right? In fact, that's the way, if you turn back to Mark chapter 1, that's the exact way that Mark begins his gospel. Maybe, maybe you want to put a little underline here, a reference back to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He's here to tell you, Mark's gospel is here to tell you about the real Son of God. And this is just a fake. Tiberius is, is a fake. And so this, this idea that, uh, that he is divine, uh, it would have rankled the Jews. They, they would have hated uh, just the implication of that, much less it being on the coinage. Uh, this next little bit on the back, uh, this maxim pontiff in Greek is the highest priest. Now... Again, that's another thing that rankles the Jews because they have their own high priest, right? He lives in Jerusalem, and he is the seat of their authority. He is the highest-ranking member in their government. You don't get any higher than the high priest in Jesus' day. There wasn't a king. David's lineage uh, has been lost, at least as far as the throne, as far as the literal throne goes, obviously Jesus is from David's, David's lineage. But there's not a king, so the high priest is the highest authority in Jerusalem, except Tiberius says that he's the highest 
priest. So this coin on its very face and the fact that they had to note this to Caesar, to Tiberius, that they had to attribute these things to him, uh, this would have eaten them up. And so they say, should we pay these taxes or not? And the Pharisees are kind of like, not. You know, they definitely fall in that, that side of the argument. Let's not pay these taxes. Let's have an insurrection. The Herodians are on the other side of the aisle. That's why they hate each other. They're very much loyal to Rome. And so um, they say, should we pay these taxes or not? Because either way he answers, they're going to trap him. Right? So if Jesus says, no, you don't have to pay those taxes... Jerusalem's its own. We have our own government. We're ruled by no one but, but, but God, right? If he presents this nationalistic approach, they're going to go back to Rome and say, you've got an insurrectionist in your midst, and that's going to get them killed. And if he says, yes, you need to pay the taxes, what, what are they going to do? They're going to run over to the people, and they're going to say, he's a sellout. He's a Roman um, sympathizer. You don't need to pay attention to him. So either way he answers, they've got him, right? Listen to what he says. Oh, back in Mark chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 16, they brought him a coin, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, It's Caesar's. You can see that it's Caesar's pictures on this thing. And so he says in verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Now, to us, that may not seem like, Whoa, because we've heard that verse Quite a bit, right? Over your lifetime, you've probably heard that verse, and he maybe even said that several times, right? You need to give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. But to them, these guys were holding on to things that were not theirs. The Jewish leadership was so fond, and now they've got a systematic... uh, They've done this several times for several different things. They've held on to things that are not theirs. They don't belong to them. This money, Jesus says, looks like it belongs to Caesar. It's got his picture on it. Why don't you give it back to him if he wants it so bad? And people are like, okay. And then he says, but you also need to give to God what's his. Now what's God's? The kingdom. And the Pharisees and the Jewish leadership have absconded with it. And he says, you need to give that back because the authority is not yours. You can't make the rules. And you guys have been making the rules. You can't make the rules. You submit, right? That's our word in Mark. You submit. As a disciple, you bow to Jesus. And so he says, you guys are so focused on this money stuff. You're greedy, right? You remember what they were doing in the temple? They were saying, uh, we have to exchange your money. And so they, you would give them $50 and they'd give you back $5. That's a pretty raw deal. What did they do with the other 45 They went in their wallet. They went in their bank accounts, right? So they're greedy. And he says, you guys love this money so much. It's not yours. You got a problem with it. It belongs to Caesar. If he wants it back so bad, you give it back to him. But you also need to give back to God what's his. You need to submit you can't make the rules. You follow the rules. And today, obviously, we find the rules in Scripture. These, this, the way that he would have us to live. Who he wants us to be. Right? The things that we ought to do to be pleasing to him. I, I can't make those things up. It's not in my wheelhouse. I read those things and I submit to them. That's what he says. 
So you give to Caesar what's Caesar's, and you give to God what's God's. And they were all surprised, astonished, marveled at him because he had answered so well. So this first trap doesn't work. Uh, so you should picture uh, these three groups. The Pharisees and the Herodians come to him first. And, and now the Sadducees are going to come to him. And then finally they're going to follow up uh, with a scribe. But you should picture this massive Jewish leadership convention before they, before they break into these little groups and come to Jesus. Because they, this is intentional. They have set up these three traps in the hopes of taking him down, either getting him in trouble with Rome or getting him in trouble with the people. But the, the intent here is all these groups that normally wouldn't work together wouldn't normally give each other the time of day or working together for this one thing. And so all of Judaism has come to bear against God, right? In John 1, John says that Jesus came home. He came back to his own. He came home. You remember how John finishes that, that thought? His own didn't receive him. They pushed back. And that's what Mark's saying here. The whole Jewish leadership, the ones who are in charge, the ones who know Scripture, these teachers of the law, the ones who ought to know better, they push back against them and they reject them. And this is just the first uh, instance here with, uh, with this... Um, with the, with the coins. The second one, the Sadducees come to, the, come to Jesus. Now, Sadducees are kind of interesting because we don't know just a ton about them. In fact, what we know about them comes almost solely from Scripture. Uh, and it's almost solely what they are against, what they don't believe in. Uh, we know about them from history. We know they existed. We know that they were a sect around uh, the first century, a little bit before and a little bit after. Uh, that they are contemporaries with the Pharisees, obviously. Um, but they are in opposition to the Pharisees. They don't believe a lot of things the Pharisees believed. The Pharisees were very much into this whole um, oral law, their laws, the things that the traditions of the elders is how Mark phrases it, the things that, the, that they're making the people do, that they're, they're saying adhere to these laws. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to adhere to those laws because those aren't God's laws. Those are the Pharisees' laws. The Sadducees don't buy into all those laws, which good for them. But they also don't buy into a lot of different things like angels. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in the afterlife. So the question that they come to Jesus with is very interesting. They don't believe in heaven or a hell. They think once you're dead, uh, your soul just goes away and your body deteriorates. Uh, and so back to the earth you go, I guess. Um, so they don't even believe their own question that they bring to Jesus. It's very interesting. Yeah, verse 5. He says, If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. Now, that's the law of levered marriage from Deuteronomy chapter 25. The, the Sadducees' question is, this guy has a wife. He dies. He's got seven brothers. Mosaical law, this law of levered marriage, says that since they, the first couple didn't have children, his brother marries the woman and he tries to have children with her so that they can take care of her in her old age so that his name can't be blotted out in Israel. That's what verse 6 says. Now, there's some interesting stuff that we need to maybe understand here very quickly. 
um, about this blotted out of Israel. The land was so, so important to the Israelites. Um, this, this land that had been promised to them, Israel, it was not like land today. We buy and sell land like it's not a big deal, right? To them, the land was incredibly important. It was a gift from God. And so if you lost your land, if you were forced to sell your land to pay off debt, uh, if you gave away your land for some reason, you were looked down upon. It, it, was, it was an awful thing to have to do that. But if you died without having children, then uh, it was also looked down on um, because there's no one else to take up your spot of the land. And so God tries to make an allowance for that here. He says, well, if you don't have uh, any children, then your brother marries your wife. He has children. They, you have children together, and then the children take over the land. All that to say, the Sadducees come to Jesus, and they've got this problem. Well, who marries her? But the, all seven brothers marry her. But then whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection, right? You ever thought about that? Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus says, well, you got a couple of problems here. Let's look at, let's look at their problems. Mark chapter 12, starting in uh, verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? See, they're not familiar with the scriptures, and they don't get God's power. So he's going to say marriage doesn't work in heaven like it does on earth. What's the purpose of marriage here? What's the purpose of marriage here? To give us to heaven, right? To make us holy. Everybody with me? Marriage is to make us holy. That's something our, our culture doesn't get very well uh, in 21st century America, I don't. We think it's fun, or we, we, whatever. You know, we're we're there to have um, the the time of our marriage is to make us holy. These guys have made the assumption that just because there's marriage on earth, that there's going to be marriage in heaven too. Jesus, Jesus says, your, your assumption's wrong. There's not any marriage in heaven. You, they're not given in marriage. And there's no marriage in heaven. And just because uh, it's here doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be there. And so they don't get the power of God. He's done something different here than he's going to do in heaven. So they don't understand all that. But the main thing that they don't really understand is Scripture. Look, listen to what he says. They came bringing him a question. He's already embarrassed them because they don't know the power of God. He set them straight there. But Remember, they also don't believe in the resurrection. And so he's going to, to dive into a little bit deeper in that here. In Mark chapter 12, starting in verse uh, 26, he says, And as for the dead being raised, he's kind of switching topics there. You know, he's already handled the, the marriage thing. So he's, As for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but the living. You are quite wrong. Now go back up and look in, in, uh, in verse 24. He says, is this not the reason you are wrong? And then in verse 27, he says, you are quite wrong. He uses the exact same word there. He's bookending his thoughts. And so he's, it's just one more way of showing them how utterly ridiculous their, their theology is. You don't believe in the resurrection? Well, let me take you back to a 
passage that you probably have quoted, Sadducees, uh, and that you learned since you were just a little little child. You remember back in Exodus chapter 3 when God came to Moses in the burning bush and God's talking to Moses and Moses says, well, who should I say send, sends me to, to release Israel from, from Egyptian slavery? And God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He didn't say I was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He says, I am indicating, implying, right, that their souls are still somewhere alive because by the time Moses comes along, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have been dead for a couple hundred years. Their souls are still alive somewhere, right? Jesus makes this play on words with the, with the tense of this word, not I was, but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, you don't even know Scripture, and you think you can teach people? Are you crazy? You don't, you don't even know Scripture, and so now the Pharisees and the Herodians have, have had their chance and they've gotten embarrassed. Now the Sadducees have had their chance and they've fallen miserably short. Let's, let's look at the scribe. Check out this scribe because he is impressive. He comes with this group to test Jesus. That's what Matthew tells us, that he is just as much a part of this group as the Sadducees were and as the Pharisees and the Herodians were. His heart is hard, right? Just like theirs, he's not, he's not here to listen. He's here to ruin Jesus in the eyes of the people or to get him killed by the Romans. That's why he came. That's not where his heart's at right now, though. Check out what's happened. Verse 28. Mark, Mark 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well. He acknowledges that Jesus has answered wisely. He asked them, which commandment is the most important of all? It's very simple, right? These other guys come with all these words. If you go back and you look at what the Pharisees and the Herodians said, and you look at the, what the Sadducees said, they had all these words. Like they, they had this big story that they wanted to tell. They wanted to butter Jesus up. And it's all in an attempt to trap him. But this guy just comes and he says, what's, what's the most important commandment of all? What's the one that I need to make sure that I follow? It's a valid question, right? It's probably a question we've, we've all wondered. Jesus answered him in verse 29. Most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. You notice how many times he said all there? Four. How much room does that leave for loving something else? Not a lot. Not any, right? Remember Wednesday, we talked a little bit about the thing that you love or the thing that you spend your time on, the thing that you spend your energy on is the thing that you're going to love. Uh, in the past, I think we've said it like, whatever you feed grows, right? You feed your kids, what happens? They grow. You feed your dog, it grows. You feed a love of anything, it grows, right? You feed a love of God and it grows, you start reading scripture, studying scripture, it grows. You start praying, it grows. You start hanging out with Christian people, it grows. This love grows. But if you love something else, it starts pushing out the love of God, doesn't it? It expands, like, like we talked about Wednesday with the great stuff, um, expanding foam. It just expands and starts pushing everything else out of your life. 
This guy comes to Jesus with a valid question. What's the most important thing I need to do? And Jesus says, love God with everything you've got. Everything you've got. Don't leave another ounce out. Don't leave room for anything else in your life. You love God with everything you've got. That's the most important thing. The second is this, though. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. So out of the 630 some odd commandments that the Jews wanted you to follow, that the Pharisees mandated that you follow, he says there's two that you really need to get, get a hold of because everything else fits under those two. You love God with everything you've got, and you love your neighbor like you love yourself. Everything else will fall into place. This guy has a great reaction. In verse 32, the scribe said to him, You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and that there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He got it, right? He understood. Finally, somebody in Jewish leadership is picking up what Jesus is putting down. Finally, they understand. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So the tests were over after that point. They, they threw their best shots at him. He let them have their best shots, and they all came up miserably failures. In fact, one of the ones that came to test him had been listening and his heart had been opened during Jesus' interaction with the previous two traps. It's not ever too late to come back, right? It's not ever too late to come back. Sometimes we think we're so far gone. I've done so many things. I've done things that would hurt myself, that is sinful, that God will hold against me. I've hurt the church. I've hurt my family. I've hurt. I've done damage. There's no way that I can come back. Check out this guy. This guy intentionally came to the Son of God in an effort to ruin him in the eyes of the people or to get him killed. But he's listening and he's willing to submit. And guess what happens? His heart is open and he's ready to listen. Now Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. What's he mean by that? He means that you're, you're listening and you're submitting. But you haven't submitted yet. So the, all, the only thing that's left is, is the submission. He's, he's done all the other work, right? He's done everything else that's necessary. His heart is finally open. Unlike so much of the rest of the Jewish leadership, this guy's heart is open. And Jesus says, you're so close. You're listening, your heart's open. The last thing you got to do is actually submit. You actually have to bow. Right? Because if we intellectually get that He is God and that we have to obey Him, but we never actually obey, we're close, but not close enough. You're close to the kingdom, but you're not actually in the kingdom. You're close to salvation, but you're not actually saved. 
This is not one of those things where close enough is good enough. This guy's close. It's not close enough. I don't know what happens to him. Scripture doesn't tell us. History doesn't tell us what happens to this guy. I like to believe that he came back and maybe he was there on the day of Pentecost. Maybe he was one of the 3,000. I don't know. What I'm wondering, though, is how close are you? Are you close to the kingdom of God? Have you been considering baptism? Have you been considering becoming a part of his family? Have you been looking for a way to overwrite, to overrule your past and to have it blotted away? If that's your earnest desire, if that's the thing you want more than anything else, he can accomplish that today through your submission to him in baptism. As he washes your sins away, you are added to his family and you become a part of the kingdom, not close to it, in it, saved. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to help you submit to him, to help you love him more than you love anything else in this world so that all those things don't edge out, don't expand and push out your love for God. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Jesus is Jesus, calling me home, calling today, calling today, like a
Amber Payne comes forward this morning. Uh, Nathan and Amber have been visiting with us for several months now. Um, two precious little boys, Sam and Luke. Uh, Amber says she's done some things that she wants God's forgiveness for. And we are certainly going to pray uh, for her. And I'm so proud of this family. I've grown to love them over the last several weeks. Um, and, and you should get to know them too. They're awesome. Uh, Nathan is uh, Alan's, Alan Payne's son, uh, and they're just going to be a blessing uh, to us, I am sure of it. So we'll ask one of our shepherds, uh, Gary, if you don't mind, come up and pray for Amber. And uh, and you guys just be in prayer for, for this good family and uh, for their little boys too. They're precious. Bow with me. Father in heaven, we're thankful that uh, we can come to you in prayer, Father. And we know that you hear our prayers we're thankful for Amber, Father. We're thankful for the decision that she has made to, to come forward. And, and Father, we just know that, uh, that we all make mistakes, Father, but we also know that you forgive us. And, and we're so thankful for that, to know that, uh, that we have a loving Father that, uh, that hears our prayers and hears us when we hurt. And, and Father, as a church family, we, we all... Uh, we all celebrate with her this decision, but we all pray for her, Father, and we pray for her family. And, and Father, we look forward to uh, worshiping together uh, with, with Nathan and Amber and, and their two sons. And, and, Father, we just pray that you will bless that family and, and give them the strength, and, uh, and Father, and, and to keep that desire to, to want to serve you and want to do better. We thank you for Jesus, Father. We thank you for what he's done for us. Continue to watch over us and bless this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're very thankful for Amber and for the Payne family at this time. Let's all please stand and we'll close out with hymn number 780. 780, won't it be wonderful there? First and second verse. <clears throat> and then after that, Brother James Ward will lead us in prayer. When with the Savior we give to the glory that won't it be wonderful there? Enter the troubles and cares of the story that won't it be wonderful there? Won't it be God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for 
all the many blessings that you've given us, Father. Thanking you for this beautiful day that we have to come here and worship you, to sing songs of praise, to hear a good lesson, Father, and commune with you. Father, we're grateful for the country in which we live, where we have the freedoms to be able to do such things. And we're thankful for the men and women that uh, serve this country, Father, and pray that you'll be with them and their families. Father, we're thankful for the leaders of this congregation, for Clinton and Gary and Jerry and their wives, Father. Just pray that you continue to be with them, give them good health and strength. Father, we're thankful for Chris and Dave and for the work here as well. Father, we're thankful for the membership and the love that we can show to one another and grateful for uh, the closeness that we have here at Rome. Father, we pray that you'll be with us this week as we go throughout our daily walk with life, Father, that we can be the example that you'd want us to be throughout the community and we can help lead others to come to know you. Father, I pray that you uh, will forgive us when we do wrong. Most importantly, Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the life and gift of your son that we can have eternal life through him one day. Thank you for your love and it's through his name that we pray. Amen.